This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. It's your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. I'm super duper excited. We've got a good friend of ours coming back to the show. You know her as the uh, New York Times bestselling author of One Good Dog. That's uh, author Susan Wilson. And we're going to talk to Susan a little bit about her latest novel, The Dog I Loved. Pick her brain a little bit about the characters and uh, the theme of the book and not to give away too much, but uh, make it everybody excited about it. And then uh, also talk to Susan a little bit about writing in general, how she has become a master of her craft. So uh, excited to always pick the, the brain of someone who knows exactly what they're doing with all this stuff. So we're going to have a great show as usual. Everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Doggo Suds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Doggo Sud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Doggo Suds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. And joining us now is New York Times bestselling author Susan Wilson. Susan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me again. Yeah, welcome great. back. Great, I appreciate yeah. it. Always great to talk to you. Love uh, love when I see a new Susan Wilson book come across my desk. And uh, definitely excited about the, uh, the latest one, uh, The Dog I Loved. Tell us uh, a little bit about the book and sort of the theme without giving away all the juicy bits. But, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about this one. Okay. Well, I would, I would say it's a little darker than I normally go to. It is a, a dual protagonist kind of story. I have, I have two main characters, women. One is Rosie Collins, who is, uh, when we meet her, she is in prison. And she is in prison for involuntary manslaughter. And she is, you know, basically her life has been subverted and ruined through her accidental killing of her fiancé. However, her fiancé was a very controlling man, and there, how can I go back a little bit on that? So she's in prison, and she encounters the um, therapy dog program, and after a little bit of talking into it, she takes it on, and she has a, a puppy, and his name is Shark, and of course, she becomes very attached to the dog. But at the same time, the dog is being prepared to be a service dog for someone else. That someone else is Megan Custer, who is a wounded warrior. She was a captain in the Army, and she's been a victim of an IED, and she's had to go from being a a leader of people to being back in her parents' house and being taken care of. And she's, she's very bitter about it. She had to be talked into doing the service dog thing, and the two women meet over this dog, Shark. and they become friends. They become friends. And it's it's an important connection for Rosie because she's been alienated from her family. She has nobody. And Megan is someone who doesn't always have friends, but has just has taken a shine to, to Rosie. Fast forward a little bit, a mysterious benefactor gets Rosie released and has it's kind of like an innocence project, although that wasn't mm-hmm. the title I used. 
Rosie is suddenly finding herself not only not in prison, but she has gone to, she's been given a job. And that job is a bit odd considering she has no preparation for it, but it is being a project manager overseeing the rehabilitation of a very old family home on the edge of Dogtown. And Dogtown, for those who have never heard of it, which could be many, is an actual existing, it's now conservation area. But at one time, it is was the development of, of Gloucester, Gloucester, Massachusetts, Cape Ann. Mm-hmm. And the settlers in Gloucester, um, because they were more afraid of pirates and the Native Americans, built on the hill in a place they called the Common. And over time, they realized that they could actually make a better living on the water. And obviously, we all know about Gloucester fishermen and all of that. And those who could moved to the coast leaving behind, in many cases, widows, widows from the Revolutionary War, widows from the War of 1812, and their reputation, and they were poor, they had no one to support them, and eventually, over time, they became known as what happens to women who are alone in that era, they're harlots, they're witches, they're all those kind of things. But they were best known for keeping dogs, having dogs who were their companions, their familiars. And this is actually true, and Dogtown is now, you know, a, a, a wonderful part of Gloucester history. And they use the name Dogtown for, you know, there's a Dogtown bookstore and things like that. But this is a a good place for someone who is completely alienated, who is an outlier, is to be on the edge of this place where 150 years before was a place of women who were outliers. And along comes a dog who becomes her companion, her familiar. And the dog saves the day, as always. (laughs) (laughs) Well, emotionally, I think think he does. He certainly fills her her need for companionship. There you go. Yeah. Well, tell us about the how you came up with the sort of the dark nature of the and, and I hate to use the word dark because because yeah. there's a lot of positives in it and I, like I teased about you know having a dog yeah. and it's always going to be a good thing. Yeah. But yeah, this yeah. is this is, is a little bit more serious and you've got some characters it, it in is. here that are some pulls from real life. Yeah, I um, the part that was hard was the idea of women in prison. And that is something that I don't think it's talked a lot about, with the exception, of course, of Orange is the New Black, which is, you know, what you could say, oh, that must be what it's like. And I didn't want to make it that way. I didn't want to just depend on what I had seen on television to create a, a realistic place. And I'll come back to that in a little bit. But And then Megan being, you know, a female leader of, of men and women and being wounded in that way, was her psyche was really damaged. And... It, it, that was a little hard, and, and these were two women that I, I created out of whole cloth who I really became attached to in many ways. But um, as far as the, the prison experience, I've been really fortunate. I know, and this was quite um, coincidental, I was talking about this book and, and trying to you know set it in the prisons and all of that, and the woman I was talking to, who's an Episcopal priest, said, you know, I wrote a book. <laughs> it turns out she wrote one of the more amazing books I've ever read called A World Apart, which is the, his, the story of women in prisons and life behind bars. And it was poignant and it is full of detail. And she's such a wonderful person. She said, take it and use all any part of this you want. And so I was able to give some real verisimilitude to Rosie's life behind bars. And that was that was eye-opening for me. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Mm. So, so picking your brain a little bit on this, I mean, uh, I always love the creative process and how you come up, you know, with these characters and the scenes. And in this case, like you said, you got two protagonists here. You got two totally different type of people uh, living totally two different types of, of lives. How did you 
come up with this idea? I mean, was this something that was brewing in the back of your head? Did you pull from uh, some of the headlines you're seeing around, or is this something you've been wanting to do? That, you know, that's a really good question. I'm not sure I have an answer for that. I think part of it, every story I write starts off completely different, which is a problem for me. Sometimes I go down one line and then I think, no, oh, no, let's go this way. I think I've always liked the idea, and I, I hearken back a little bit to Dickens, the idea of the mysterious benefactor uh-huh. and how does that change your life and, and how do you cope with not knowing who is taking care of you from afar and this kind of thing. And that was sort of the nugget of it. And then I thought, well, what, what are the problems that this mysterious benefactor is trying to fix? And then that's when I went into, well, what if she's in prison? And then two influences. One was my agent who years ago said, you know, I've, I've heard about this program where they take puppies and they teach them to be service dogs. And she said, I really think that would make a great story. And I fought it off for three or four or five books. And I said, no, no, I don't want to do that. And then I thought, yeah, maybe I do. And that's how I got the, you know, the dog aspect of this story into it. And then, of course, I thought, well, what happens when they train these dogs? Is they have to give them up. They have to. Mm-hmm. and it's a graduation, but how do you do this? I mean, you're, particularly when you take them at that age and they're babies and you love them and you, you know, play with them and how do you give it up? And to make it palatable, I had to make the person that Rosie gave that dog to or, or you know, handed the dog to someone who was equally as compelling as she was. So that's how that happened. And I thought, well, obviously I'm going to have a wounded warrior. And then I thought, it doesn't have to be a man. Mm-hmm. There are women out there, and I think of um, Tammy Duckworth, and I thought, you know what? This, these are people who are strong people who are put into a very, very difficult place, and how would a dog help them? And, and uh, you know, not to give too much away of the story, Megan grows from this experience, and she hits her independence again, and she finds herself again. And it's, um, that was fun to do. Yeah. And I loved how you tied this in with the uh, female aspect of it, because we, you know, as much as we love to hear about success stories with our wounded warriors and our success stories with training dogs and rehabilitating dogs, or getting them ready for, uh, service dogs for those that are in prison. You're absolutely right. We typically, or at least I will say this, typically think this as a, a male situation. Mm-hmm. It, we do. And you see a, a lot of the news reports that way, mm-hmm. and it's, it impacts uh, the females as well. Absolutely. And the other thing is I've, I've written a number of books where the, where the protagonist has been a man. One good dog. Adam was a man. What was the other? Well, two good dogs. Adam was, he was a side character, but he was, you know, still a male story. And all of the dogs have been male. Don't ask me why. All of the dogs have been male. And in this story, I thought, no, I've got to, I've got to stick to my, you know, female point of view because this is a very different kind of story in that it is really a growth story. It's really a, uh, you know, reclaiming one's life, recovering from psychic wounds and from emotional wounds and physical wounds. Yeah, absolutely. So when people pick up a copy of The Dog I Loved, and they read through it, thoroughly enjoy it, of course, what's the takeaway from it? What do you hope they uh, gain from it? I think, you know, it, it sounds a, a little trite, but I think that it's um, it's a book of second chances. It really is. Uh, it is a second chance. Rosie is a, you know, she's a, when we, her backstory is that she's, you know, a young graduate from the Seven Sisters College. She's got everything going for her, but she's got a ton of student debt. She's back home living with her parents who are very blue, blue collar. And she falls in with, you know, this handsome, rich, controlling guy and she chooses him over her parents at a critical moment and she needs she needs to get another chance to make it right for them 
and make it right with them. And that's one of her challenges other than getting out of prison. And Megan, of course, her second chance is to start her life over again. And I think that second chances are a really great theme because there's so many ways to cast it, how to do it. And do those second chances work or do they not? And everybody deserves and needs a second chance from time to time. So I love how that ties together. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a, a quick commercial break. Uh, then we'll come back and talk uh, more with uh, New York Times bestselling author Susan Wilson. Uh, talk about the latest book, the novel, uh, The Dog I Loved, and also pick Susan's brain a little bit about writing and styles and creativity. So it's going to be fantastic. So everybody hang tight. Come back after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continue our wonderful conversation with uh, New York Times bestselling author Susan Wilson. The latest novel is The Dog I Loved. Now, Susan, before uh, the break, you talked about uh, the, you know the previous books and the previous successes, and you had uh, you know a, a main character in One Good Dog. And that that character reappeared again. And now, if I read it correctly, that character is nowhere to be found in this book. <laughs> no, not at all. This is a whole whole, whole different world. <laughs> so that's, twice. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Give somebody else a chance. So, how do you decide as an author? I mean, are there ideas and opportunities that that you want to diversify yourself with and and write? Or you know, oftentimes when you're writing novels and you've got a great character, there is a time when that character needs to move on. But yet, you've got the fans out there that want to see this character live on in every single book. How do you yeah. decide as how to that's, sort of break the tie and move away from it? That's an interesting uh, dilemma. I never you know tried to write the same character over and over again it's never been my intention these are not series these are not you know they, these are one-off books but when i was um you know i had written one good dog and then there were a couple of, or three others and then i thought what am i going to do next and i had a i had a plot and an idea all in mind and i'm like for whatever reason i kept thinking hey, you know i'm not really done with these guys yet i'm not really done with adam and chance and i feel like they had been, you know, I'd left them at a certain point in their lives where things were going to be better. And what happened to them? I, I started to get curious. Where are they? What are they doing? So I worked them into two good dogs. And I, I would just say that Adam and Chance were not the the protagonists. They're secondary characters in that book. Their action is, is reactive to the plot that goes on with the women and the mom and the daughter. But it was fun to have them around again. It really was. And I, I gave them a little bit, you know, more history. And, and that was kind of fun. 
But I think that was the only time I've ever done that. Having said that, the work I'm doing now, the next draft of a new book, I'm actually bringing in two secondary characters that I've used before and giving them a whole story, so which is kind of fun. So you never, never kill off your characters unless you're in a uh, thought, soap yeah. opera. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, put them, you know, they're like second stringers now. Go, you know, sit on the bench for a while. Let's see what happens. That's right. Um, but it is funny. When I've, I've done um, settings, too. I've, uh, I've created places, and I've enjoyed those places so much that I've brought them back because I thought, well, I don't have to invent anything else. I've got this town I already have in my head. So that's been kind of fun. Yeah. Now, the, the places, uh, obviously, you pull from some familiarity, obviously, but do you grow attached to those places just like you do the characters? I do. I do. I will say that Hawk's Cove, which I invented, you know, out of whole cloth uh, for actually the second novel, I think it was the second novel I ever wrote. I love that place. I just loved it. And I did actually use it for not the setting for the entire story, but a uh, setting for the one of the characters' hometown kind of a thing. Because I, well, no, I, I take that back. No, I didn't. I, I actually used it for a second setting for Summer, Summer Harbor. And it, had, it was, you know, 30 years later. And I thought, well, how has it changed? And I had to accept the fact that this town that I had invented that was primarily looked at in the 40s was now in the 90s. I think it was that long ago. And it had changed. It had changed. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the, Susan, one of the greatest things I love about your writing and writing styles, uh, because oftentimes, no offense to this at all with other authors, they'll pick from a real-life place that they know. They'll change some of the scenery to protect the innocent, we'll say. (laughs) (laughs) They'll pick their hometown or the family summer cottage or or something of this sort. Great sceneries, fits into the story well, but in tweaking it slightly so it will become uh, slightly fictional. And you create whole not only whole characters, but whole towns and, and sceneries and, and places, pulling a little bit from places like Dogtown, et cetera. But really, these are places well, that, that you yeah. grow up. Which is interesting because one of the, I, I'm actually writing an article about this. One of the fears I have of using a real place is getting it wrong because there are people who are going to read this and say, oh, no, that's not it. You've got this all screwed up. So it's much safer for me to create a place that's completely imaginary. But people will often say, oh, you, you modeled that after such and such. And I'll, no didn't do it didn't do that <laughs> uh, when i when i did write put the character rosie in dogtown i had to go to gloucester and take a look and i thought i'm just going to give this a very light touch for exactly that reason i don't want to you've read i'm certain people who come to the vineyard and they want to write a book about this and they will learn everything they possibly can and then they put all of that in the book which is not necessary and for you know research rapture and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to touch it lightly. Yes, some landmarks, you know, the name of a real restaurant because we ate there twice. I thought that was safe, that kind of thing. But I'm really more comfortable making places up. Yeah. Well, and I, I think you're spot on. You don't want to get it wrong. And, and when you when you say yeah. don't get it wrong, well, it's really a viewpoint. You know, mm-hmm. there are historical facts that, yes, you can, if you do your research and do it wrong, you're going to, you, you perhaps will get it incorrect. But I sort of think about it as, you know, the, the hometown I grew up in, my yeah. memories and my thoughts. And, and when I go back there and I see it, my take on the town is totally different than someone mm-hmm. else, perhaps born and raised and never left. That's um, right. That's exactly right. Everybody has their own view, vision, and, and essence of their place. And you can't fake that. And so you have to make new stuff up. I mean, there are, there are a number of, you'd be surprised to know, there are a lot of authors that live on the vineyard. 
and some will use the vineyard and some will not. And um, I think it's because it, it it's very personal. And so what you're writing about is not my experience, but it's yours. That's right. So when, when you're writing about a, a, you're creating a town or a location, you're creating a character or characters, you grow, grow attached to those uh, places and those mm-hmm. people. As an author, how do you see them? I mean, do they really become, you can see them in your mind's eye, what they look like and how they act as if they were sitting in the room next to you? Or is it more of a, an overview or a concept where you can sort of give a flavor to it? It's more of the, more of the latter. I don't actually see their faces. I guess that's the, the best way to, I mean, I know, in fact, I don't give them a description, I, you know, whether they're tall or thin or fat or, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I like the, the reader to, to dress them and to, to envision them is the way they want to. So no, they're, they're, I think it's like channeling. I mean, maybe that's the best way to, it's more of a, mm-hmm. of a, um, an embodiment. It's not a physical thing. I don't picture them particularly. I hear them more than I picture them. I hear their voices. Yeah, no. Well, that's interesting. Which is uh, that, why I like dialogue. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's fascinating in itself because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've, uh, through my writing and through talking to numerous authors, you know, each one has their own take on it. And mm-hmm. some will actually, almost like actors, become part of that character. They mm-hmm. can, you know, they, it's hard to dislodge themselves from the character themselves. And for you, yeah. you actually hear them. Uh, they're holding the conversation yeah. and allowing you to put the magic down on, well, I would say the typewriter, but I don't date myself. <laughs> not, 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 <laughs> not easy. And what's kind of interesting about you know writing dialogue, you've got a couple of characters and they're going back and forth. And I'm, sometimes I sit and I think, holy moly, I've got two voices in my head and we're going back and forth. And yet they're making sense. You know, it's, it's a respond, call and response kind of thing going on here. And that kind of when I get rolling on that, I sometimes have to take a deep breath and think, where is this coming from? <laughs> and it is. Yeah. It's channeling two different people. It's, the brain is a very weird thing. The artistic brain is even weirder. So There you go. I love yeah. it. I love it. So as an author, how would you label yourself as an author? Are you very uh, structured, writing storyboards, writing, uh, mapping it all out before you actually sit down to the computer and start typing away? Or like you said, do your channeling and when an epiphany comes or uh, you're on a roll, you just stick with it and let the time pass away? I, I think it's more of the latter. I'm, I wish I were more structured. I talk to other writers and they say, oh yeah, I know what's going to happen in that chapter and I have a concept, I have a basic general outline, but I, I go back sometimes to those outlines that I started at the beginning of a book, and I think that there's absolutely no relation to what I've written. So I'm a little bit organic about it. I, yeah. I, I know yeah. I need to get from point A to point B, but sometimes I'm not sure what point B is, and so I kind of let the characters share, you know, stick it, oh, yeah, what are we going to do now? Are you, t- are you going left fork, right fork? I don't know, you know. It, it is very organic, and, and which is the fun part, it really is. I don't think I could ever just be one of those people who are so concentrated on chapter one, point one, A, B, C. You know, in a general way, I can do that, but I can't yeah. plan too far out. So that doesn't make no, that me a better sense. writer. It just makes me a yeah well i think or first of all organic is exactly what was in my mind as well mm-hmm. the, the way you go about writing and, and letting it just organically flow you know how it is you've been doing this a long time uh, there's no right or wrong do you no, know there you may teach a class and that particular uh, teacher or professor may say here's the way to go about doing it but uh, yeah. no it's uh, a yeah, sort of yeah i'll reflect uh, here, date myself uh, again here a little bit i won't throw out any dates but i remember back <laughs> it's funny how you said the mind works i remember back to high school and i had a teacher and he was teaching an english class of ours we were covering poetry 
and he said, Tim, read this poem and tell me what you think. And keep in mind, there's no right or wrong. So I read it. I don't remember what it was. So I apologize to me years ago. But I read it and gave my opinion of what I got out of it. And he said, no, that's wrong. <laughs> he told me, there, you know, there's no right or wrong. He was, I should have known it's a setup. Don't worry about it. There's no right or wrong here. No, you're wrong. Uh, goodness oh, my goodness. God. <laughs> but I, but I think it's true when you're, when you're writing, you know, there's no real right or wrong way to go about doing it. As long as at, yeah. at the end of it, you feel good about what you've, you've accomplished, mm-hmm. got your message out there, and hopefully somebody uh, learns from it, uh, is entertained by it, and uh, more importantly, wanna, wants to buy the next book you put out. And that's Yes, <laughs> yes. But I, I think you put your finger out. What I really feel is, though, in some ways, I'm in the entertainment business. What I want is I want people to read something. I want them to react to it. I want them to say, wow, I like that book. Or I want them to say, you know what, you really stunk. I don't, I don't like it at all. This is why. Uh, yeah, I, I want to upset people. You know, I'm not preaching. I'm not, I'm telling a tale. I'm telling a story. And that to me, when people say, wow, I really enjoyed that. I, I really believe that character. That's, that's golden. Absolutely. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. So, Susan, and we're. Uh, book is good too. <laughs> yeah, we'll take that too. That's all I like. That. I'll take that too. <laughs> yes. All right. So, Susan, uh, everybody go pick up a copy of the book, uh, the latest novels, uh, The Dog I Love by Susan Wilson. Uh, fantastic read, as always. Tell us a little bit about where people can find out about you, the book, uh, any signings, any great things you've got going on. Maybe have a chance uh, to meet you. I've done a couple of books, you know, bookstore things and things are settling down a little bit. Um, but I can be found on a website, which is SusanWilsonWrites.com and Facebook. And okay. uh, send me emails. There you go. There you go. Okay. All right. We'll make sure we get that out there. Everybody can uh, follow Susan on her uh, website and Facebook. Keep track of everything going on. If you get a chance to go out and, and meet with her, uh, that'd be fantastic. So the latest novel, The Dog I Love by New York Times bestselling author Susan Wilson. Susan, thank you so much. It's a pleasure well, talking to you as usual. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You, you are a great interviewer. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take my gold star. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Big gold star right there. <laughs> there you go. All right. All right, Susan. We will talk to you again real soon. Sounds good. Thank All you right. so much. Thank you. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank the producers and sponsors for making this show possible. For uh, If you have any questions, comments, ideas for the show, go to PetLifeRadio.com, send us an email, and uh, we'll definitely entertain your comments, answer your questions, and bring on the people you want to hear most. And while you're there, check out all the other wonderful shows and hosts. That's at PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Put it in a blog, an article, or in a book, and who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.